Welcome to the Zwift SBS podcast. Zwift is the app that turns indoor training into a game. With structured workouts, training plans and massive online group rides to make your training fun. Because fun is results. Fun is fast. Go to Zwift.com and start your free trial. Bonjour, 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 and welcome to the Zwift Cycling Central podcast. Uh, before we start, uh, let me remind you that you can uh, download, stream, or subscribe to our podcast on our website, sbs.com.au slash cyclingcentral, or log a ride with our friend at Zwift. Joining me all the way from the other side of the river from here, uh, it's uh, Dave McKenzie. How are you, Dave? I am very good, Christophe, and thank you for saying I am on the other side. Let's just clarify, it is north of the river. You know it's a good place to be. Whenever <laughs> you want to move over here post-lockdown, I might let you in, mate. It's the place for the fixies, yeah? Yes, yeah, exactly. The hips, <laughs> the hips, we call ourselves, yeah. And I'm, of course, uh, south of the river. Okay, let's cross the world because with us today, uh, we've got Matt White. How are you, Matt? All the way from Spain. Yeah, good, thank you. Good, uh, good afternoon. All the way from Spain. How, how are things in, uh, in Spain? I know you've, you guys have a, had a pretty complex year in terms of the health I guess. Yeah, where things are at the moment, it's certainly a lot better than where we were in the months of uh, April and May. Yeah, we had a pretty, a pretty hardcore lockdown here. Uh, we were hit very, very hard with the, the coronavirus. And we, we, there was 10 weeks there where I didn't really leave my house. Uh, you know, school's been off since March. And we could only leave for essential goods. So it was, uh, it was like, I know what house arrest feels like. And, uh, but we're on the other side of that now. And uh, fingers crossed things stay that way because uh, it's, it was pretty, pretty rough. And I think more, I think more than 30,000 people died in Spain alone. Uh, but there is some small infection and pockets of infection still around. But uh, people are certainly a lot, lot more diligent uh, at the moment than they were three or four months ago. What's the, the morale in the team uh, before we start and, and go into, uh, deep into the, the, this podcast? But, uh, this must have been hard. We, we spoke to Durbo at some point. Apparently, he was mastering the sourdough and doing uh, deliveries uh, all around, all around the, his little area. But what's the, the spirit of, what was the spirit of the team you know, around that time? I think, I think it was quite different for different individuals. I think some people were obviously locked down with their family. Uh, and so, you know, Sometimes that's not so bad. Sometimes that can be a bit punishing with kids. But then some of the boys, some of the boys were actually were probably pretty lonely for them. You know, you know, if you're a young 21, 22 year old stuck in an apartment in a foreign country and you weren't allowed to leave, that was a pretty long 10 weeks. So I think some of the guys struggled a little bit uh, with that. But I know that the guys were having a lot of communication between each other. We have a couple of basic hubs that the, a big chunk of the team is in, and that's Andorra and Girona. So the guys were catching up quite regularly on Zoom calls uh, and you know, having a Friday night, Friday night beer that you know, 10 or 15 of the boys that get on Zoom and they'd all have a bit of a chat about things. They're actually, I know a couple of them were actually meeting up in supermarkets. They were, <laughs> they were, they were, we're going to go shopping at uh, 10 o'clock in the morning. They're sort of passing each other in the aisles and having a quick chat with their mask on. But uh, I think it's really individual. I think uh, some guys struggle. And because in, in the sort of the darkest sort of period in April, there was a lot of people dying every day and the news wasn't good anywhere around the world. And Spain was the, was one of the big centers for that negativity. But I think coming out the other side, I think the, the, the morale is really good. Everyone's, everyone's excited and to get back into racing, fingers crossed. We know that the virus is still here. It's not going anywhere in the, in the, near, in the near future and hoping that the, uh, it can stay under control enough that we can get the, at least this season 
which a weird season it is, finished in a very intense three-month block and, uh, and stay safe. Matt, uh, so you got through that and I guess let's, there's a very small elephant in the room because it's already happened and it's, we've moved on from it, or from, from it or you guys have as a team. The departure of Shane Bannon, which I guess caught us all by surprise, and Brent Copeland has now replaced uh, Shane as general manager. What can you tell us about Brent? I'm presuming you've crossed paths with him somewhere along the line in, in your, either your racing career or in your current role. Yeah, so I, uh, Brent has been around. He's been in uh, he's South African. He's lived in Italy for about 25 years now. So he's, been, he's had involvement uh, in our sport since in that, in that period. First off, as uh, he was a sports director for Lamprey for 10, 12 years. Then he had some st- uh, help uh, Doug Ryder take uh, NTT to, that, to the continental uh, level, the higher level from the African team that it was. Then he worked with, uh, he set up Bahrain. So he's a general manager there at Bahrain. So I've known him. Uh, we certainly weren't friends or work colleagues, but you know, it's a small Anglo community in cycling. And he's got a very good reputation as a very good operator. And uh, I think he's going to be a great fit uh, in our team. And it's, uh, I had a lot to do with him in the last couple of weeks, that's for sure. Yeah, I was going to say, you wouldn't have had a chance to probably catch up with him face-to-face yet. I'm presuming it's all via Zoom or Skype. And does much change for you? Because, I mean, you're on the road. You're the head director sportive. But you've still got to deal with the general manager, I, I imagine, on a weekly or day-to-day basis at some times. Yeah, no, I haven't actually had a chance to meet him in person. And probably uh, the, first, the first couple of races, uh, he'll, he'll pop into those races and, uh, and make some contact. He's going through the process now of uh, ringing the guys. and Because and, and, a lot of the guys wouldn't have had anything to do with him either. Uh, I think Daryl Impey knows him quite well. Uh, but our younger guys and even the other ones, unless, you, unless they'd been on a team that he's been directly involved with, they would know who he, who he is, but they wouldn't have had contact. So he's going through that process now, introducing himself to the guys. He's already in the office. Obviously, he lives 20, 30 kilometres away from our headquarters in, in Italy. So that was a quite easy one for him. So he was straight into the office and uh, back to work. Uh, left Bahrain on the Friday, started with us on the Monday. And uh, it, he's, it's a busy period because we're obviously in a, in a phase there where we're re-signing a lot of our guys at the moment and, uh, and building a team for the next couple of years. I mean, in terms of the, and in this podcast, we're not too much about the gossip. So we're not going to go down into the, uh, the gossip and we don't want to go down into the, the gossips. But to conclude that, uh, that page, uh, how do you make sure that all this didn't impact the riders? You know, this whole story, this whole saga, uh, how do you make sure that this is not carried forward into the new season or the season that is about to restart? I think the big difference and the big thing that has really steadied the ship is obviously the commitment from Jerry Ryan. I think... Everybody in the organization, young or old, everyone knows that you know, when Jerry says something, it happens. Uh, and th- it, there was a couple of weeks there where, you know, the, the story of the Manuela Foundation, there's a lot of questions that we, ha- we had about that foundation. And it was a, there was a bit of a shaky period because, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a new sponsor. We didn't know anything about the sponsor, anything about the guy. It's a foundation that doesn't exist yet. But the big steadying of the ship was definitely the commitment from Jerry for two more years. And once that you know, once everybody knew that, then there's no way we'll be carrying any negativity into this, into the second part of the season or the future. And uh, I think you'll see in our team and the women's team a very, very similar lineup in the next couple of years. So there won't be too many changes with staff nor riders. And uh, we're just looking forward to uh, to getting back on the road and and back winning again. You had a clear uh, GC aspiration. Uh, that was a, a big switch over the last few years. That doesn't change, I guess. This is really where you're aiming for the next few years. GC, GC, GCs. 
Yeah, I think a combination of GC and, and winning in general. I think uh, we've always been a team of opportunists. And then we, when we did move into the, the GC sort of phase, we, we kept winning uh, out of breakaway. Last year when we won at the Tour de France, we had four wins from four breaks. I think we're going to keep that style of, of racing going on. But we definitely want to continue in the, uh, the GC vein. And, and on that, I guess, Matt, um, someone like Esteban Chavez, I would imagine, as, as bad as this has been for everyone, for someone like Chavez, he's been back in Colombia for an expen- extended period of time. I guess first question, when will he be coming back to Europe? And two, I think this would be, he'd be someone that would benefit from this, uh, just being able to stay at home longer. Macket, you're definitely right. I think if there's one guy in this team who's actually benefited the most from the lockdown, it definitely is Esteban. Uh, he's, you know, having been at home there, I think the last time he was out of Colombia was when he came to Australia for Tap the Tour. Yes. So he's been, uh, which is December, so end of November. So he's been in Colombia for seven months, seven months now. Been able to string a lot of consistent training together at home, which is at high altitude. And uh, he looks in super shape. And uh, to answer your question there, I think he's on Air Bernal uh, next week. Uh, <laughs> Haven't next heard of week. that airline. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's a special one. It's a special charter flight with, uh, with 30 of Colombia's best athletes. Wow. And uh, they're flying from Bogota to Madrid, I think on the, nine, I think on the 18th or 19th of July. Um, yeah, there's you know, two uh, Latin countries trying to work out a little bit of quarantine and, and uh, flight restrictions, but it's happening. And all the Colombian pros are going to be on the same flight flying into Spain sometime next week. That's cool. Wow. Uh, in terms of the, the, the season ahead, okay, uh, you had a plan coming into 2020. Of course, like everybody's life has been turned upside down. That plan was ripped off and then turned upside down. How do you reshape a new year that is so concentrated as a, as a Super DS? What do you, how do you reshape that, that season? Look, it was, a cha- it was definitely a challenge. Uh, I love it, but it was, it was a challenge. And look, we've been, we've been able to keep a lot of our similar goals and similar plans with this, with this new calendar at the moment. The difference is there's, and every, every team is going to be tested here, is the, the, where, we, where, we, where they have placed the Giro, the Tour and the Welter especially. There's not much room for doubling up or backing up into the, in those races. So you you might see some riders do the Tour de France and the Giro, but a two week window just isn't enough, and you certainly won't see GC riders doing it. So we've had to, you basically had to run two separate squads in the Giro and the Tour, and then the tricky one there is obviously the classics. So the, the guys who the guys who do the classics can't do the Giro, and then the Welter. Well, the Welter will be I think a lot of the good quality guys from the tour will back up for the world because there is a four week window, but we, uh, we've got, it's a very intense three and a half month period. We, we certainly haven't got many reserves for races and we'll be hoping that we don't have too many injuries or illnesses because we are really on the limit. And there's a, there's a lot of this three month period where we're running three programs and three programs with injuries or illness gets, gets very tricky. And it's going to be a tough one for the staff as well, because basically, okay, our staff have been, at home for a long period of time now, but once we get back on the road, it's going to be very intense. And then obviously on top of all of that is uh, everything we've got to do with, with uh, our COVID policies. So sanitizing of all the vehicles, of, the, of, our, of our extra sanitation, of our rooms, and yeah, just the simple things like people will be wearing masks all the time. And we'll be, with the programming as well, I've tried to keep as much as possible people in bubbles. Uh, it's, it's not foolproof, And it's not possible just sheerly numbers. You can't send 
sprinters to the Dolphin A, you can't send other climbers to these races. But once we get through the first one or two weeks of the season, the Giro team does stay together. The Walter team does stay together. And so we've tried to keep that uh, clear also for testing. So we know where our guys are coming. And uh, I think we have a rough plan at the moment. Most of our athletes will be getting COVID tested probably 10 to 12 times in that three-month period. So every time you enter the bubble, you'll be getting tested three to five days before you go in. There'll be, there'll be some testing while you're inside that bubble. Uh, and then if you leave, even go home for three days and come back again, you're going to have to be tested again. So I've tried it all, put all of that inside the race planning and it's been, it's been complicated, but uh, I'm, I'm happy with where we are. And you know, we're 10 days away from uh, our first race, Walter Burgos. And so on that, Matt, you talk about all the COVID protocols that are in place. What sort of communication have you had from ASO and I guess UCI as well? And I guess then the question on top of that, and I heard someone else ask this the other day, you know, let's hope not, but what happens if one rider or one staff member at the tour or at a tour tests positive? Have they addressed that? Does suddenly the whole team have to go home or that, does that rider just leave the race? What's, what's been uh, communicated to you guys? Yeah, that, that is, Maka, that's still definitely a work in progress. And so we, all the teams are coming up with their own policies then we are guided slightly by the UCI. Uh, and then, uh, then the one who makes the final rules are going to be each government's health department, which uh, they, are, they are still evolving. And they will, I think they'll still change from race to race because, and country to country because now some countries in Europe have had very, very little issues. Uh, some of the smaller countries, very little issues with COVID. And then you know, countries like Spain, Italy, France, uh, now in Belgium, because countries are getting hit even harder now. So I think it's going to be a, it's going to be an evolving document. But I would expect, you know, depending on the, the cases, that people will have to be isolated and potentially uh, potentially sent home. But you know, it's it's going to be evolving, and uh, we're going to need some luck, I think, to get through uh, this three and a half month period without uh, without things like that happening. Because I I think as well, besides. Besides the fact, you know, racing in, a, in that bubble of 180 riders, I think when we go to actually a race, the, the general trend over the last few years is that bike teams are very, very on top of hygiene. And at the end of the day, the best way to, to not pass this virus on is hand hygiene and distancing. But also, once, so when you, once you're in that bubble of a team and everyone's been tested going in, I think being at the races is going to be a relatively safe place to be. I think the, the more of the issue is when the riders go home and, and mix with people, you know, mix with, go to a restaurant, or they go, we, we have no control over who's actually near you. Whereas at the races, I've seen in the protocols as well, you know, we're going to have our own eating room. We're going to be, uh, we're, we're going to have our own floors. We're, at races, we're not going to have too much, too much uh, contact with, with the general public. And I know I haven't seen the final stuff, but obviously, the start in the finish areas is going to be very, very different uh, at racing when we come back. It's not going to be that swarm of people on top of the uh, athletes uh, at the races. So I think at, when we get back to racing, I think that's going to be a relatively safe place to stay. I think that the tricky part is when the guys go home to their 28 different homes uh, and down the, at the shops or the supermarket or, or and some countries like Spain, it's compulsory to wear a mask. If, you can't, if you're in a confined space, you have, that's, that's law. You have to wear a mask. Whereas... Belgium, it's not. So you've got we've got athletes going back to strict environments and athletes going back to, to very lax environments. So 
the guys have to be very, very diligent when they go home because I think once they get to the race environment, it, it'll, it will be a relatively safe place to be. John, on a scale of 1 to 10, chances of seeing the Tour de France happen and happen fully, where would you rate this? 1 to 10. Oh, look, I'm a glass half full kind of guy. I would give it a, uh, I'd give it a good 8. I'd give it an 8 at the, mo at the moment. At the moment. I like that. I think, yeah, uh, we, we want that. <laughs> yeah, I think, uh, I think they've positioned the Tour de France uh, very nicely in front of everything else. So I think, <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, ASO for the Tour de France's run, they won't be uh, too stressed if anything gets cancelled after them. But uh, uh, look, I, I, fingers crossed we can get the whole season through because it would be great for, great for cycling to get you know, for the sponsors and everyone who's invested in the sport to get that three and a half months of very intense racing. Yeah, it's going to be tricky to get three and a half months through, but uh, I'm positive. We, well, at the moment, we're definitely going to start our season in 10 days' time, unless there's mm. some, big, some big outbreaks in the next 10 days in Spain. Burgos and the Italian races, the Italian one-day races starting with Stade Bianchi, will be starting. Uh, and then after that, it's, uh, you know, we are in the hands of the gods there because uh, at the end of the day, uh, you know, we can't control millions of people's movements and hygiene. Uh, and the thing that does concern me, really, is just the disparity in... What, how people are handling the virus from country to country. It's crazy. The countries that have been hit really hard, people are very diligent about wearing a mask, about hand hygiene, and, and they're still scared. But other countries, you know, look, look at the UK. The UK never had a lockdown, and they're, they're, they're still getting smashed. They're really getting smashed. And I think some countries have handled it well, as hard, hard and harsh as it was, but other countries have been... Uh, look, America, look, America's out of control at the moment. Really, it is out of control. Did we ever think they were in uh, control? <laughs> no, well, not when you've got a, uh, a clown like that leading the country. No, mate. No, it's, uh, it's, uh, uh, what, what, what are the aspirations for you this year? Like, what would be a good season? Uh, coming December, we look back. What, what would have been a successful season? Oh, I think uh, just continuing to win in World Tour races would, uh, would be a big one. And, uh, look, we'd love, to, we'd love to win or podium a Grand Tour. Uh, that would obviously be a big, big success. And that would have to mean that the Giro and, or the Walter and the Tour are actually all running in uh, as well. So, no, usually we, we, usually we get hit around 30 wins a year. We're not going to hit that this year just because of the lack of racing. So, the numbers, you know, we, usually for us, 30 wins a year is a really good target. And we're averaging that over the last eight years. But uh, uh, obviously, when you go to a Grand Tour, if you can walk away with a stage win, that's most teams don't walk away with a stage win out of a Grand Tour. So, any team that wins at least our stage, it's been a success. And then for us, for, uh, you know, for the Giro, you know, our, tours, our team's going to be named in the next uh, 24 hours, I think. Uh, but uh, obviously, we've got big ambitions to, uh, to try to win the Giro d'Italia. And I think we've got a very capable team to do that. Did you say your, your, sorry, your tour team will be announced or your Giro team will be announced? I think our, our long list will be announced uh, in the next 24 to 48 hours. So uh, you'll, get a fair, you'll get a fair idea of what our plans are when that's released. So actually, so that's good timing. On that, I, be, I better publish the podcast very quickly, though. Yeah, yeah <laughs> absolutely, Matt. I think, uh, like many many cycling fans in Australia, and and I'm one of those, has a soft spot for Luke Durbridge, just because he's a genuinely uh, uh, such a, an approachable guy and a nice guy. I would imagine he would be looking at the tour and Paris Roubaix, of course, the classics. Because I think you said if you if you do the uh, if you're doing the classics you can't do the Giro and he's done the tour obviously and he's been one of those real workhorses. Where what do you hope to get out of him this year? 
Well, there's some stuff that's coming out. Luke has a very, also a very big eye on the World Time Trial Championships. Right. So yeah, we could we we could even see we could even see Luke miss the Tour de France to concentrate on the World Time Trial Championships. Because they clash. So they clash. They uh, look, clash, yeah. it's, for me, it's I, I I can't get my head around why they would clash the World Time Trial Championships with the Tour de France. It's there's yeah, it's it's crazy. It's yeah, some of our best time trialers won't be there. They'll obviously be the last day of the tour. But uh, look, I mean, Luke has a very big eye on he, His dream is is to make the Olympic team uh, next year in Tokyo. And for him to do that, he really would have to show Cycling Australia that he's a medal chance. And uh, you know, we're in discussions now about uh, what, what, what Luke's pro- approach is over the next couple of months because uh, one of the options there is uh, he may uh, miss the Tour de France to, to concentrate on, uh, on the World Time Trial Championships. Obviously, we have the defending champion in Rowan Dennis, but uh, it's a very good course for for, for Durbo. And uh, we'll, be, we'll we'll find out over the next couple of weeks what his uh, what his plans are. But uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he puts uh, his eggs into that uh, that TT basket. So yeah. No breaking yeah. news here, but watch this space, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, actually, on the point of the the riders, uh, just a quick chat about Jack Haig. He was gaining a lot of maturity over the last few years. Uh, 2020 looked like it would be a year where he could take a bit more uh, responsibility in the team. What role do you see for him this year? Yeah, look, Jack started the season incredibly well. The, the two stage races that he rode, I think he finished second in both of them. So, Welta Valencia and Welta Andalucía, two second places. Uh, and then, obviously, he was our leader for Paris-Nice, which, uh, which we, we declined to go to. And look, without revealing his program, he's going to play a, a, a crucial role in, in our climbing group. Uh, he's, he's certainly taken some big steps uh, in, the last, in the last year and a half. And the other one who's taken uh, some very big steps is Lucas Hamilton. He's, uh, he's a quite, little quite achiever. Mm. And uh, he's, I've got big raps on, big raps on Lucas. He's, uh, what you saw last year, his first year at Italia at 23 years of age, you know, it's not easy backing up like he did in the, in the third week of a Grand Tour, and it really shows uh, promising signs. If, if, you're, if you're getting stronger in the third week of a Grand Tour, that's not for everyone. And I was very, very impressed with the performance uh, of him last year at the Giro in his first Grand Tour. And I also expect some very big things from Lucas uh, in this tail end of the year. Yeah, that's, uh, you're dead right there. He, he's a quality rider. Staying on young riders, Matt, but I'd love to get your thoughts. And because of the way the, the restructure of the season now, guys like Julian Alaphilippe, we saw what he did at the Tour last year, and also Tade Pogacar, are they potentially the two Smokies at the Tour de France this year? Just because of the change of the season? I wouldn't say it any other year, but is it possible? Look, I, I think that the thing that's changed, Macca, is, and I, I think. People are getting very excited about this young generation, and rightly so. But I think uh, Bernal, Pojica, and uh, Evenpool, especially those three, hmm. I, I think they're freaks. I, I don't think that's I don't think that's the norm to to come out of juniors and start doing what they've been doing. Uh, <laughs> I, don't think, and, I don't think anyone thinks so. <laughs> no, it's, it's, I don't think it's normal. I think most kids and young young men develop a lot slower, and I think those guys are. They're, We've, we may have seen that over the last 20 years. One guy in a generation, a Vandenbroek or a guy that performed at that, such a high level at 19, 20 years of age. But I think those three have all come at the same time. And I think a lot of teams have gone, whoa, where's my next junior coming from? And a lot of teams have gone and invested in some very young riders. I know 
there's a young kid near uh, who lives near me in Spain, and he's just signed. He's a junior Spanish champion. Just signed a five-year contract with UAE, and he's still he's, he's second-year junior. So look, those young guys. That's that's a lot of time, and that's a lot of development to put in those guys. And I, I really think that okay, the training and the approach to the sport has changed. I think the guys are racing less, training more, it's more specific. But I think Grand Tours traditionally, well, you, you get better as you get older. Is that the ability to handle that load? I think, but I think those three uh, are not normal, not normal guys, and they come around every now and then. But I think getting back to the tour, I, well, I think Pajikar, it's it's a what we saw at the end of the Walter last year was very very impressive, and I wouldn't be surprised to see him in the top ten. That's mm-hmm. and that, which that's incredible at yeah, 21 years of age. But I think for me, the the big showdown is going to be between Jumbo and Ineos. And I, if I was, I, I think Roglic, Roglic Bernal is, is going to be the showdown. I, I think that's the that's the two. Uh, I'll just jump in, Christoph, because you've just led us into the next question. And will we see Chris Froome at Ineos at the tour? I know at the moment he should be, but stranger things have happened. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, it depends. I don't know. Well, I know one thing. Ineos, all that they care about is winning the Tour de France. I think they certainly, they're quite good at removing emotion from their decisions. And uh, I think it will depend how, if, if Chris Froome comes back, how, how he's coming back into racing. I wouldn't be surprised if they left him out. I think three leaders does complicate things. Uh, but also, yeah, it's going to be a tricky one to manage because you've got the, the last winners of the Tour de France all in the same team. You know, Froome is trying to get that elusive number five. Garen Thomas, you know, he was one two years ago, was solid last year in a tour that was also altered in the final week. And then Bernal is the is is the next the next star of our sport. So I don't know how he. You know, someone's got to work. Uh, and then when you've got three leaders in a team like that, it's going to be a tricky one to manage. Two but leaders is possible. Can Froome, but can Froome, and and, and I guess this is a, a twofold question. Could Froome race it with Israel, and and legally could he do that? Uh, legally he could, yep. but that, they've they've confirmed that's not happening. He he he'll right. definitely he'll either be racing for Ineos or he won't be racing at all. He won't be racing right. for uh, for Israel Academy this year. So that's all confirmed for next year. Um, but no, he, he legally he can because uh, the, the the transfer window with UCI is from August. So I think Rowan Rowan not many riders have actually done it. Rowan Dennis did it a couple of yep. years back when he went from. Uh, to BMC from, uh, from, from Garmin back in the day. And so it is possible, but it's obviously the two teams have to be able to agree on that, that transfer. But it won't be happening with Chris Froome. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's the million-dollar question is, uh, will Chris Froome actually be on the start line, let alone uh, get a chance to win uh, the 2020 edition of the Tour? What was your reaction when you've heard the news? Uh, I guess maybe you've heard the whispers before, but uh, when that news dropped, you know, what, what did you think? Yeah, they uh, they weren't too quiet of whispers in Europe, that's for sure. Uh, <laughs> there's not too many teams one could afford or were built, were willing or to totally restructure a team like uh, like Israel were. So I knew about it a long, long time ago. There was a connection there with uh, the owner of Israel Academy. He's actually the the gentleman who brought the uh, the Giro to Israel. Yeah. So he was probably the one who who uh, paid Chris's bonus to come to the start of the Giro a couple of years ago. So there's, there was a definite connection there already. And as far as a sporting decision for Chris to, to leave Ineos, I think it's, a, bit, it's a, a brilliant move for him. Because at the end of the day, he, he wants to win. He wants to get back to winning tours. 
Tour de France, Vuelta España, maybe the Giro again. And that is not the team to do it on anymore because, you know, at the end of the day, Bernal doesn't want to sacrifice uh, his chances anymore. Garen Thomas is in the tail end of his career. And I think the way he's gone about it, he's, he's trying to build a team around him at Israel. I know there's a lot of movement in the market at the moment. Uh, Christopher, trying to bring some key riders with him to Israel. A couple of them actually uh, could even be sitting on our team. Yeah, I know there's, there's people trying to... Well, it's, it's a very busy market, all because of Chris Froome, because he's... Now, Israel Academy is a developing team. They haven't got a GC culture. They've got a couple of good climbers. But Chris Froome is, is trying to cherry-pick the best of the world tour to take with him uh, for 2021 in the future. It's got, I guess a comment on that, Whitey, it's, it's got to be good for business in terms of the business of cycling and world tour cycling that Froome now goes to another team. But also, just briefly... What's your take on this post-COVID, whether it be the end of this year, next year, or could be 22 before we get back to really normal? What's the business of cycling look like, do you think? And what's it going to look like in the next couple of years? You've been around long enough to, I guess, have a, have a pretty uh, good view on it. Yeah, I think that the big thing, Macker, is what, firstly, this season, if we can get, if this season is disrupted pre-Tour de France, uh, I think it'll be not so good a place to be. Uh, I think... Uh, now, if you, basically, if our season gets wiped out without the, the biggest race on the calendar being held, I think it's, it's, I think a lot of the sponsors, you know, at the moment, sponsors, some sponsors have been able to wear certain, hit, certain hits, knowing or hoping that their season was, is going to take place in a three-month condensed period. If that stops, there could be a few sponsors that, that go back and say, you know that $15 million budget, how about, how about it's $10 million next year? We haven't raced. You haven't. You know, we've got our business model is is a, is a special one. Uh, you know, obviously we've, we don't know. It's all about publicity for our sponsors. So if we you remove that publicity, then obviously sponsors aren't getting their value. Uh, and I think that it's going to affect the market on the, in the short term. Chris Broom coming in and trying to create a, a a really strong team around him has a positive effect for some. I think there's a lot of riders on the market at the moment and a lot of teams really just sitting on their hands and waiting to see what happens, what eventuates over the next six weeks because, uh, I said, everyone has budgets for the next couple of years. But if the Tour de France is cancelled, if our season doesn't go ahead as planned, those budgets are going to change. And where does that, what, how does that affect the sport? It affects the sport in, in salaries. I think the, the market will have a significant shift down and I, I would be very surprised to see all 18 World Tour teams get, come out the other end if the Tour de France is cancelled. Uh, I think if everything goes ahead as planned, look, we already know that CCC aren't returning to yeah. the sport next year. Jimokowicz is in a mad scramble to find a replacement sponsor there. Uh, it may well be Manuela Foundation. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, I think for next year, if we get a three-month calendar that's complete, I think that's a good place to be. If the calendar is disrupted, especially before the Tour de France, I think uh, our sport uh, it could get uh, some big, uh, some big changes financially going forward. And, and do you think that some of the changes that has happened by force majeure with my best French uh, here uh, this year could stick? Like calendar changes, is there stuff that could be brought at a different time because it's actually better in terms of rebalancing the calendar for the next seasons? Yeah, well, I, I, my personal opinion on the calendar this year, I think the, the UCI has probably tried a little bit too hard. I think there's, I think the calendars. My opinion is the calendars are a little bit too busy. I think if it was if it was simplified a little bit and we had 
say, five weekends of key one-day races, brought guys in and out of, of uh, lockdown situations in hotels, then the chances of people getting the virus are very slim. I think they probably try to keep too many partners happy. And I think having the, that, that calendar condensed in that period, you know, it, it, if it comes off, yeah, it'll be great. And, you know, people who love cycling are going to get three and a half months of, of, nightly, of nightly racing. Uh, but I think going forward, if certain races, for example, the Giro, if the Giro's not on this year, that is going to hurt RCS big time. That's, you know, they, uh, the ASO have a big calendar of races, but their flagship is the Tour. And if the Tour goes ahead, they will survive. And they make a lot of money from the Tour de France. The RCS is a little bit smaller. They're the people who run the Giro and all the Italian calendar. If they lose the Giro d'Italia, that is really going to hurt them. And how bad? I am not sure. So you know, it could be, it could spell a different calendar next year if, if worst case scenario. And I think some races will die off because of, uh, because of this. I think next year, if the count, if now COVID's not going anywhere anytime soon, it's right. going to be in our population until there's a world vaccine. And that, that could take years. So the sporting world could be different for a long period of time, not just this year, not just next year. Our calendar could look different. And I think a lot of that is going to be, is going to be affected how we get back in running this year and how disrupted this year's calendar is and how effective these policies are to keep our athletes safe. And the eventuality of having, you know, virtual events added to the calendar in the years to come, you know, people have had a test of that virtual racing now. Uh, and can this be some sort of, uh, you know, time where there is a couple of other virtual events where racers can take part? Oh, I do. I, th I think that I think regardless, I think virtual racing has a place on the calendar. I think, uh, look, it's not for everyone. I, uh, but, you know, I don't know about you guys if you've been watching it at home, but it's been getting pretty good ratings over here. And I think they've done a, Swift have done a, a good job, a very good job at, at uh, yeah, they've tried to create a real life race sort of environment. The, the, the right commentators, you know, they've used you know, all the World Tour teams are racing uh, and they've got some good fields. And, The difference between Swift and a couple of the other different uh, platforms is you actually, there is tactics involved and there is, you know, it's a, there's an art form to racing on Swift, whereas a couple of the other platforms don't have drafting the same. So it's, it's more like a time trial, just who's the strongest for that, for that period where there actually is an art form to racing in Swift. And I do, I do see that there, there is potential to have it, to have online racing. And I think people, there, there already is online racing. And, you know, there's teams, there's online and esport cycling teams. It doesn't get too much publicity because it's a, it's, a, it's, it's a bit of a boutique sort of a scene. But I think when the World Tour teams are racing, there'll be a lot more interest. And people want to see the stars race, whether that's virtual or on the, on the television or on, or on the road. So I definitely think that virtual racing has a place in our calendar, regardless of what happens with, uh, with, uh, with COVID. Corey, it was awesome to have you all the way from Spain. Thanks for spending some time uh, and, and not, not hiding behind the fact on some of the answers. Uh, so thank you, Matt. No, pleasure, guys. So no, fingers crossed. Fingers crossed everything goes good over this next period uh, because uh, every, all the teams are the same. It's, we're keen to get back to racing and uh, it's been a long period out and uh, everyone's excited to, uh, to do their job and get back and uh, doing what we love. Good luck. Good luck. Thanks, gentlemen. Thank you. This was the uh, Zwift Cycling Central podcast. Uh, remember that you can uh, download, uh, stream, or subscribe to our podcast on our website, sbs.com.au slash central, or log a ride with a friend at Zwift. Until next time, it's bye for now. Before we go, a quick shout out to Zwift. 
the app that turns indoor training into a game. Getting started on Zwift is easy. You just need your bike, a trainer and your PC, Mac or Apple device. Zwift offers training plans, interval workouts and a global community. Get strong and get motivated with every ride. Give people a ride on and you're sure to get one back as together you enjoy the massive benefits of social indoor training. Go to Zwift.com today and start your free trial.